Somebody, somebody want to share? Anybody want to share? What, what, what comes to mind when you think about being free? What, what comes to mind? Okay, all right. Not being the two-for-one special anymore? Okay. We can, we can, we can, what's that? Oh, hey, listen, we got, we got Jason in the back. He's delivered babies before. We can, we can make this happen. Somebody else, when you think of freedom, you know, what, what comes to mind? What's, what's, your, what's your mindset? Worship, okay, cool. Thank you for taking it spiritually. I was going to get there eventually. <laughs> Absolutely. Anybody else? Okay. Okay, cool. So we're thinking about patriotic. Sure, sure. Then that's what I saw on the news this morning. Nothing at all related to what we're talking about. But this guy has memorized over 2,300 different people that have been, you know, have lost their lives in service to our country in the military. And he travels around every day writing their names down on walls to, to show that, you know, we haven't forgotten. And that's, that's, his, that's his ministry. And he does that to raise money for their families. And I thought it was pretty cool that he, he took it literally because we say, you know, in a big way, we don't forget. But there's so many people that have done that, it's really tough. And so it was really cool to see him do that. But you're right. You're right. We, freedom isn't free. You know, we, we have, whether it's being gone and, you know, being worried that your baby might be born while you're gone, and thank God that he made it back in time, but, or, or missing out on things. We, we know that, you know, and, and even possibly laying your life down, that's a, that's a tough sacrifice for sure. So freedom, right? And that's what we want in our culture. We talk about this idea of freedom. And so when we... When we look at this, one of the things that, that I remember when I went off to college and, and moved away for the first time and, and you, know, my, you know, everything I owned could still fit in the back seat of my car and, you know, it was, it was pretty easy. And my parents left me. They drove away and there I was in my apartment by myself and I had to take care of myself. And at first I was like, I was really excited about it because, you know, I'm like, nobody can tell me what to do. You know, I don't have to. If I want to go to class, I go to class. If I don't want to go to class, I don't. If I'll study, I study. If I fail, I fail. And, and that really was kind of a, a freeing thing until I realized that I had to cook for myself and do my own laundry and all that kind of stuff. But this idea of freedom is such a big deal. And Jesus talked about this um, you know, when, when he was on trial in front of Pilate in, in John chapter 18. You don't have to turn if you don't want to. We'll have it on the screen. But Pilate said to Jesus while he's on trial after he'd been beaten and mocked, and he says, so Pilate said, so you're a king, starting in verse 37. And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate asked the game-changing question. I wish he would have stuck around for the answer and paid attention. But he asked Jesus, what is truth? And that's, that's what we're going to anchor on tonight because what ended up happening when I left off and went to college, at first I got excited about my freedom in life, that I could go off and I could do what I wanted. And if I, you know, I could spend my money how I wanted to, I could spend my time how I wanted to, I could spend my resources how I wanted to. And one night hanging out with one of my college roommates, and he didn't mean this, he didn't mean it, um, he didn't mean it insultingly. He was just honestly asking, he said, you know, James, you're a Christian. And I said, yeah. He said, Why? And he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. And he, and he genuinely wanted to know, what was it about this Jesus guy? What was it about the, the Christian faith that made me hang my spiritual hat on it and say, I'm going to make this gamble for eternity? Say, you know, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my life and the way I live right now because of this guy that lived 2,000 years ago. And, and he was like, you know, that's just crazy. Why would you believe in, in all this stuff? And I didn't have an answer. And I said, that's a good question. And what ended up happening is I went on a, on a journey and it, it, it messed up some of my grades in college. I didn't pay attention like I should have, didn't study, because what I started to do was I went on a journey to say, what is truth? 
Because without that one question, if you don't answer that one question, nothing else that we do makes sense. Nothing else matters if you can't answer that question. What is truth? And so the good news is we've got an answer. You know, I spent time. Yeah, you know, I spent time at the mosque hanging out with the imams. I spent time in the, in the synagogue hanging with the rabbis. I ended up talking to the elders in the Mormon Church. I spent a lot of time with them. I spent a lot of time, you know, asking different college professors questions that would hang out with me, and and, and on different students and different people that I met, and just trying to learn about faith. And I went to the libraries and I studied all kinds of different faiths. And if you want to geek me out and let me make what makes my baby jump, man, we'll talk about different world religions. I love it. it makes my heart happy. But. It would be a lot easier, I think, to settle on, on one. And tonight we're going to look at the idea of how Christ satisfies this idea of freedom, how he ends up looking at this conversation. And we're going to look in John chapter 3. Jesus ends up having a conversation with a religious leader called Nicodemus. Now, you probably are completely and totally familiar with this story, so some of this will be reviewed. But hopefully, God willing, we're going to look at it in a little bit of a different way. Now, Side story. Maybe you guys remember back in the day, Nickelodeon used to have have a, a, a time in the evenings. They call it Nick at Night. Okay, I have great memories as a kid of of sitting with my parents and watching. You know, the, you know, I guess you call it a throwback, an older TV show like you know Andy Griffith. Back when TV shows were actually wholesome and had good quality stuff, and you could laugh and not worry if your kids heard about what was on TV. And so they called it Nick at Night. And every time uh, my buddy Jackie Watts, he, he always calls this story. He always calls it Nick at Night. So I always think about this: that Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night, and he's asking Jesus these questions. And this is such a neat paradox when you dig deep. And I encourage you when you read your Bible. Don't just read it. Study it. You know, maybe it's the English teacher, but but most of us would say, hey, I'm going to pick up Homer's Iliad. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to get all of it. Just the first time through, I'm going to blush through it. I got it. Most would say, no, I need, to, I need to learn about the author. I need to learn about the context, the history it was written in. What's the, what's the surroundings with it? You know, when, when was it written? What's the culture going on? Is there any what different types of context we need to understand to make this story make sense? So when we read the Bible, we should do the same thing. So in John chapter 3, Jesus has opened his ministry publicly. And, and Jesus, man, you've got you to realize, Jesus to us is normal. That you know, If you're like me, I, I cut my teeth on the pews of the church. My mom played the piano every Sunday, and man, if the doors were open, we were there. You know, I, I, I've got, you know, I, I laughed at the idea of hymn books. I didn't need hymn books for a long time because I, I knew all the verses, you know. And so that was my life. That's why when I went to college, it was such a surprise that somebody would ask me about my faith because I thought everybody thought this. Everybody believes like I believe. And so if, if this is foreign to you, cool, this is going to be neat stuff. But even if it's not, I encourage you, man, study your Bible. Just because you've always heard, and you can always, I'll give you a perfect example. I love to tell this story that, that, that you know, John the Baptist tends up telling his disciples that come and they say, hey, what's, what's going on with this Jesus guy? And John tells him, look, I told you I'm not the Messiah. He's got to become greater and I've got to become less. And he says, John says, I'm like the best man at the wedding. And I get to celebrate with him. And, and, I, and I, I heard a guy teaching on this back in, in seminary, and it just blew my mind that the best man at a Jewish wedding, what he would do is, you know, they'd say their vows and all that, and then the, they weren't married until they got together you know, as a married couple and consummated their marriage. And they would put a tent out in the back. And the married couple, after they said their vows, would go out and they'd be married. And the best man would stand outside the tent with a sword, and he would protect them from anybody stopping them being married together on their honeymoon night. And when they were done, he would go back to the party and say, now we can really party because now they're really married. And so when John stands up and says, I'm the best man and I get to celebrate with you guys and I get to proclaim the, the wedding, boom, that's what, that's what he's talking about. That's the context. And so 
when you study, man, that's the kind of beautiful stuff that, that, that has nothing to do with talking about tonight. But I double dog dare you. Get some commentary. Start digging into the Bible. Don't just read the verses and say, God, I trust you, because that's cool. But, man, you can take it to such a deeper level. So Nicodemus is this guy, and he comes to Jesus. And, and, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the, the like, super-duper elite. These are the guys that had their, like, PhDs in theology. These were the guys that, that they had grown up. And, and just to give you some, some, some brief cultural context, because I want you to really wrap your head around how crazy this idea is, that when Jewish boys would grow up, They'd be homeschooled when they were little. And then if they lived in a, in a decent town that had a synagogue, then the rabbi would teach them kind of like Sunday school. But that was their daily stuff, and they would memorize the first five books of the Bible. They'd try to, or we, or what they call, what they call the Bible, that's the Pentateuch. And they would you know, try, and if they were good students, then, then cool. But if they weren't, most of them, if, if you had a normal family, then you would you know, end up getting a trade like Jesus. That's what when Jesus comes on the scene, the people say, isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? They're like freaking out, why is he a rabbi? Because in their setting, this is, you know, you had to be like the top-notch, top-of-the-class student, and if you did really good when you were a kid, you'd get invited to become a rabbi's disciple. And you'd spend the next 15, 20 years of your life studying with that rabbi. When you hit age 30-ish, you'd become a rabbi yourself. And so that's what Nicodemus was. Nicodemus was not only was he just super-duper educated, he was super-duper popular and wealthy because he was a Pharisee and he sat on the Sanhedrin, which was the religious like ruling class in Jerusalem. And so this is like a top dog guy. And he, for some crazy reason, recognizes what's going on with this Jesus guy because Jesus didn't have this academic pedigree. I mean, I, I was going to pick on, on Pastor Caleb because he's not, he's not here tonight, but it would be like Pastor Caleb coming to me asking about how to change a tire. You know, that's his bread and butter. He works in a tire shop. He knows mechanics. They'll be like, James, tell me how to change the oil because I'm not a mechanic. You know, it'd be like, you know, hey, how do, I, how do I fix my catalytic converter? I don't know what it does. You know, that's a cool word. You know, I know it's, you know, the, the hip bone's connected to the knee bone or whatever. You know, that, that kind of stuff. I got that. But... It would be like Caleb coming to me and asking me a mechanical question. This is just not, this is not the way that it worked. But Nicodemus recognized there's something about Jesus. And he comes in at night, and we look in, 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 in John chapter 3. Hopefully you've, you've turned there with me. If not, it will be on the screen. And in John chapter 3, it says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And now we talked about that he's a Pharisee. He's one of the, the religious ruling groups. Uh, and, and, the, and these are the guys that really set the stage. These were the, they were super-duper wealthy. They were super-duper respected. Even though Jesus talked really bad about them, Nicodemus was, was a genuine guy. And he says, After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he says, We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, some commentators will say that, that Nicodemus is just painting on the, the compliments, but I really believe if we look at this in context, Nicodemus really is, is giving Jesus some compliments. He really believes this about him, that Jesus has done all these miracles, and Nicodemus recognizes the fact that even though he doesn't understand what's going on with this Jesus guy, he understands God's using this Jesus guy, and he wants to get a first-hand look. And Jesus does what Jesus always does. Another thing, if you want to study something real cool, I challenge you to see how many times Jesus answers a question with a question. You know, the, the guy comes to Jesus and says, you know, you know, good teacher, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? You know, Jesus loves to turn conversations on their head. And what he always seems to do when he does it is he gets right to the heart of the matter. He goes straight. See, this guy's coming, and he's, he's talking about, you know, all the great things that God's doing. And Nicodemus, you know, doesn't, doesn't get it. And Jesus goes right to the punch. And he says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Jesus is telling probably the most religious, spiritually minded person. I mean, the Pharisees were so, so meticulous with these rules that they took the 613 laws of the Old Testament and they added extra laws to them. They had thousands of rules that they followed. They were, Jesus gets onto them and actually says, you guys are so meticulous that you measure out your spices and your herbs to tithe to the, to the temple, to God. You know, and he gets, you know, Jesus had all these things to talk about how much they followed the rules, but they were missing the point. And Jesus really hits on it. And he says, unless I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus asked a great question. What do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And that's the question, right? And so we've got to realize that, I mean, if you're like me, you grew up in church. We have, we have our own language. You know, we have Christianese we speak. And, you know, if you went up to an average person and asked them if they'd been washed in the blood of the lamb, they'd look at you like you're kind of crazy, right? That's a pretty freaky thing. Hey, you washed in the blood of the lamb? You know, that, that, that would you know, creep some people out. But we say those kinds of things, right? And so we've heard this phrase, born again. That, that, in the Christian world, that's a normal thing. But to a Jewish person, that's their pedigree, that they, they are God's chosen people. They were born a Jew. And there's nothing better you could be. And so here's Nicodemus, a Jew. He's got all this great education. He's got all this great standing. He believes, based off his situation, that he's blessed by God. He has great standing with God. But Jesus says, no, 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 you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus gets on it, and he, he doesn't understand it. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. And he says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And Jesus is digging deeper with Nicodemus and saying, look, you've got the education. You know the, the head stuff. You've got to get the heart stuff right. And I think that's where, sadly, the Christian church in America has really lost it. We're really good about saying, you know what, show up at this time and, 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 and you know, stand this way and sing these songs and, and say these words. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I gave my life to Jesus at a youth camp. But we have these emotional experiences and we feel like that that's, that's the next thing and that God loves us because he's given us this great emotional experience. And the truth of the matter is, what it really breaks down to is, do I have the Holy Spirit in me? Am I surrendered to the King? Am I, am I living that life? Have I completely surrendered to him? And Jesus is, is getting on Nicodemus because he knows that Nicodemus has got the law right, but he's missing out on the point. And then he says in verse 7, So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, and just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus asks this great question. How are these things possible? And he asks the right questions. Those are good questions. And so we're going to look at that tonight. How in the world is it possible for us to change our worldview so that we are completely reflective of the life that God wants us to live? Because that's the, that's the question. When I, I told you about my spiritual journey, that when I, the pilot asked, what is truth? And I asked, what is truth? And where did it lead me? To look at these four areas. You see, every single one of us, whether you realize it or not, we have a worldview. That's just the way the world works. You cannot have a, a it's just how we live life. And we answer these four questions, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And if you're a note taker and you want to dig into this deeper later, I double dog dare you to do it because it's pretty interesting, at least to me, that origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And this is the thing that Jesus, in, in kind of a hodgepodge way, he doesn't lay it out just like this, but Jesus provides this information to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. 
origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And we're going to take a little bit of time tonight to realize that if we can figure out how this stuff works, then we've got what I would call a bulletproof faith. Because, I mean, I, I, I don't know, maybe you're not, maybe you've got it. Maybe you figured it out. But from years of working with high school and college kids, most of them don't have this figured out. Many adults have never thought this through. But Peter wrote in the, in, um, in, uh, in, uh, sorry, Paul wrote, excuse me, no, it was Peter, Peter in First Peter said that we should always be prepared to give an answer when people ask us about our faith or the hope we have in Christ Jesus. And that Greek word is apologia. It's where we get the word apology from. It's a defense. It's not saying I'm sorry. That word means we need to be prepared to give an answer for what we have. But I found that so many people, and it used to be me, if somebody came up to me in Starbucks and said, hey, I, I see you're reading the Bible. Can you tell me about that? Most people would be like, you're lost in the sauce. They wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't have an answer for their faith. And that's why these four things are so important. And that's what we're going to look at step by step tonight. Because if you've got this, Jesus said that anyone who follows his teaching is like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. And when the storms of life come, that they'll be able to withstand it. But the person who doesn't, it's like a person that foolishly builds their house on sand. We were just at the beach, and it just, yeah, I can only imagine if you built a house on beach sand, when the hurricane comes, that thing's going to topple, right? And that's what life is like, because the storm of life is going to come. You know, a wise person I heard say one time that you're either coming out of a storm, in between storms, or going into one. That's just the way the life works. But if you are not prepared, you're going to have that event happen, and your faith is going to, going to, going to crumble. And you're going to say, God, why do these things happen? And you're going to turn your back. So we're going to look at this tonight. We're going to stay on the surface. You could take each one of these could be something that we could talk about for a while. But we're going to start at the beginning with origin, with origin. And the beginning explains the end. The beginning explains the end. We talk about origin. Where did we come from? Where did all this stuff happen? How did it come to be? Now, in the Christian worldview, most of you guys are, are, are ready for your Sunday school answer, which is Jesus, right? And John, a couple of chapters before, throws this out in this very familiar passage in John chapter 1. You've heard it before, I'm sure. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, some people are crazy enough to say that this idea of Jesus being God didn't happen until the Council of Nicaea in AD 300-ish, right? But John wrote this in the first century. So this is, you know, this blows me away when you start thinking about church history, that John wrote... This, and this is a foundational truth of how the Christian life works, that in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the Greek word there for word is logos. And another way you could translate that is the word logos refers to the definition. It's what makes something. You know, If I were to say, oh, that's sweet. Well, okay, what kind of sweet are we talking about? Are we talking about sweet like a little kid, or are we talking about blueberry cobbler? You know, There's different meanings to the word, right? But we're talking about the definition, what makes something what it is. So we could write this a different way. We could say, in the beginning, the definition already existed. The definition was with God, and the definition was God. You see, God is the defining factor for everything in life. That we find our reality for how the world works in Him. And that's why when you know, Pastor Mark has taught so much on, on Genesis chapter 1, that in the beginning, that God created the heavens and the earth. And that's what blows me away. I, I got to, to listen to the video. If you've never listened to it, you can find it on YouTube. When, when we first went into space, and they saw earth from space for the first time, you know, I, I didn't know what they would, you know, what, what would you say? You know, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, that would be crazy. I'm, I'm afraid of heights, but I'd love to see it. But the only thing they could think of 
was to go back to Genesis chapter 1. And in the beginning, God. And that's what we're looking at. That in the, our origin, that the end is found in the beginning. Now, when we look at what we see, that's what, and I'm a word person, I love words, that the, the word universe, you know, the root word uni means one, right? And a verse is a single spoken sentence, like a verse of poetry. Universe, that from a single spoken sentence, everything that you and I see and everything we are came from God. And that's a foundational truth for how we live our life, because there are people out there that honestly believe that everything we see came from nothing purely by chance. And I say baloney, you know? How do you look at, at, I mean, it's like looking at a watch and saying that that just happened to come together by people throwing metal around just by chance. Or a dictionary, you know, that just somebody just started framing stuff together and boom, we got a dictionary. No, if we see design, then it makes sense to say there's a designer, right? And so when we answer this question of origin, where did life come from? Well, the easy Sunday school answer is Jesus, but... That's foundational. That's big stuff. And it says that he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. In the Christian faith, there's this misconception. I know we're getting into like world religions and stuff like that. But there are people that will tell you that the Jewish faith, the Islamic faith, and the Christian faith all worship the same God. And all you have to do when you talk to somebody, if you, you say, hey, well, if, if I went up to a, a Muslim and asked them if they believe Jesus was God, what would they say? They're going to say, no, right? If I went to a Jew, I've got many Jewish friends, rabbis in the, in the military that I talked to. If I went up to them and said, hey, who do you think Jesus is? They're not going to say God in skin who came to save me of my sins. They're not going to say that. They might say he was a good teacher that was, you know, misrepresented, maybe. But they're definitely not going to say that he was God. And so that is what we as the Christians, that's what, that's what we believe. That's foundational. So the origin. And so, everybody there, were you with me? We're good? We'll move on. All right. So the next thing that we have to answer is this idea of meaning. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And meaning, our meaning is found in his being. I don't know if you've ever, maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't had these existential questions in life. And hopefully you will. You know, if you go look at the stars on a, on a clear night. And you say, what's this life for, as Creed asked in the early 2000s? If you, if anybody listen to Creed? Any Creed fans? Okay. I'm old now. Nobody knows who Creed is. But they asked this question, you know, what's this life for? And that's it. Our meaning is found in his being. You see, people go far and wide looking for meaning. And they, they, they volunteer and they get good careers and they think, oh, I need to accumulate money and I need to go on trips. And I need to, you know, have all these experiences. And those are all wonderful things. But if you seek to find your meaning in anything else than God, you will be sadly disappointed. You can put your faith in people and people will let you down. Time and time again. You can, anybody ever like had like a, a dream and when the dream was done you were like, okay, that was good. You know? I remember graduating from, from graduate school and all those years of working hard, and I, and I submitted my last paper, and I got, my, I got my little letter in the mail that said congratulations, and then that was it, you know? And I was like, okay, well, what's next, you know? Or you, or you save up for that toy, or you, you, know, you get that new car, or you get that relationship, or whatever your new thing is, and all of a sudden, a couple weeks later, that new car is just your car, Right? You know, oh, yeah, we went on that trip and we've got photographs. You know, that was cool. Got some souvenirs. But it's over, right? And even if you've still got it, the law of diminishing returns, you'll always find something with it. Or then, you know, I, I watch it with students all the time. They drop that new phone 
And it's cracked then. Like, oh, well, you know, I busted that joker. And it's like, it's just garbage at that point to them. They'll do whatever they want to to it. And like this, it, it blows me away. That, see, we're looking for meaning in things that ultimately don't really have any sometimes. I mean, I'm not saying people don't have meaning, but I'm saying that they'll let you down and you'll find yourself saying, well, man, what's, what's, this, what's this whole thing for? And Jesus provides this answer to Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. He tells him in verse 13, he says, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Now, that's a pretty, that's a pretty bold claim. And if you're sitting there having a conversation with someone, they said, Hey, by the way, I came down from heaven. You know, you've never been there, but I've been there. I, I can tell you all about it. You'd probably say, Coo-hoo. You know, <laughs> check, please. No, but this is the conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus, and he takes it to a whole other level and says, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. That's a big statement for a man to make. Now, you got to remember, put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes. Here's this guy that's just like you and me on the outside, Saying, look, here I am, and I'm going to provide eternal life to you. To a Jewish rabbi, that's crazy stuff. That's radical. Because he's hanging his hat on being a, a, a son of Abraham. He's a Jew. He's one of God's chosen people. He doesn't need eternal life to be given to him. He's born into it. But Jesus is turning this whole thing on his head. And he's saying that you're going to find your meaning in life in me. That the things that I'm doing, the things that I'm going to provide. And Jesus says all these crazy things about his ministry. He says things like, like, I'm the gate. You know, he says, you know, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through me. These are pretty big things. And so when you say, man, I'm a Christian, that's a pretty big thing. But see, we live in a culture that wants to make everybody happy. And we, and we use this fancy word pluralism. And, and, and that can be okay. You know, we can all get along. I can sit at the table and drink coffee with people of all different kinds of faith. But if they ask me what I believe, that's a non-negotiable. I can't sit there with a smile on my face and say, you know what? You're going to stand in front of God and God said, you know, hey, you did a good job. You, you did your best. That's what matters. Because the reality is truth by its very definition is exclusive. You either are pregnant or you're not pregnant. There is no in-between. You know, if I, if I went up to Amy and said, hey, Amy, are you pregnant? She would either say yes or no. And I think the answer is yes. But my point is you can't be kind of pregnant. You know, that, that's, the, that's the way the world works, right? That's the way truth, truth by definition is exclusive. The same people that say Jesus is Lord and the same people that say Jesus is not can't both be right. But we live in this culture that wants to make everybody happy. And the reality is, I wonder, when we stand in front of King Jesus one day, how many times I'm going to be judged for this too? How many times to, to, to make peace have I left truth out of the equation? You see, it makes, a, it makes a pendulum. So many things in life do. But you see, truth without grace is an insult. If my breath smells bad, and you come at me in front of everybody, like, dude, your breath is smelling bad today. Well, you just insulted me, right? There's no grace in that. It's true. You know, probably. I brushed my teeth today a couple times, so hopefully not. But it could be. So grace without, the truth without grace is an insult. But you can swing the pendulum to the other side. And you can have grace without truth. It's cowardice. If I, if, if I, if I just say, you know, <laughs> your breath is smelling bad, but I love you, and I'm going to put up with it, I'm not going to tell you. Well, that's, that's not love. Because if you really love me, you'd tell me what was going on, right? You wouldn't let me hanging out like that. So on the one side, we've got truth without grace is an insult. Swing to the other side, grace without truth is, is cowardice. And so we've got we to find that balance in the middle. See, if we love people, 
why would we not tell them about the hope we have? We see people struggling for meaning all the time, and we've got the answer. But we just let them chase it. And we let them listen to the commercials, and we let them say, oh, well, when I buy this car, when I get this, this new job, when I buy these new shoes that are, that are made of 100% Stingray skin that are for like $350 and people are crazy to buy. But they look comfy. But they're not going to satisfy. My buddy's got a pair. I've got an army buddy that he's got Stingray shoes. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's a fun fact. Fun fact. You can buy Stingray skin shoes. But they're not going to – you might have comfortable feet, but they're not going to give you meaning in life. And that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you've got everything that a person can have, but you're missing out on the boat. But we don't get into the kingdom by following the rules. Because, I mean, goodness gracious, how many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? One, right? How many times do I have to steal to be a thief? Right? You know? Jesus said if you, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've killed them pretty much, you know? So goodness gracious, I'm a lying, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lying, murderous thief. I'm not going to get in the kingdom, you know. And so Jesus says, and but here we are, and we and we just we hold it up. And I heard a guy say one time, and I thought it was a wonderful analogy. He said, if if there was a guy at the courthouse lawn, set up, and he was just writing checks and paying off people's debts, like legit, like okay, you have hundred twenty thousand dollars on your mortgage, I'll write you a check. Fifty thousand dollars in student loans, I'll write you a check. I've got you. I will cover that. You know what we'd start doing? We start telling God to everybody. We start calling, hey, hey you, you got to get your debt paid. Hey, pay your mortgage off. Get that credit card bill off. He's writing checks. Go down to the courthouse. We, maybe it would be all over Facebook, all over Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram. Get down to the courthouse. Get your debts paid off. We have something so much better that we know the one that pays off our eternal debt. But when's the last time, and then I'm preaching it myself, man. When's the last time I sat down with somebody and said, Jesus has got that for you. Hey, you're looking for meaning in life. You're struggling. Jesus has got meaning for you. And Jesus realized the reason why Nicodemus was going at night was not just because Jesus was doing miracles. Jesus realized Nicodemus needed something deeper than following the rules. Because in, in that culture, Nicodemus had it all. He was wealthy. He was respected. He was a godfather. He was a, he was a Jew of Jews. But Jesus realized that underneath there was something else Nicodemus needed. And maybe that's for you tonight. I don't know. We've got more we're going to talk about. But maybe you came here tonight and you're looking for meaning. Maybe you've searched the globe and you've, you've tried to find it in people and they've let you down. You've tried to find it in things and experiences. But our meaning is found in his being. And you're not going to find it anywhere else. You might be happy for a little bit. But man, eventually that car becomes just a car, and that toy becomes just a toy. You know, I look back. I've, I've got a, I've got a shelf of the things that I maybe I, I, I paid too much money to throw away. You, do you have those? You do that? I've got like my PDA from like 2002, right? It, like it, it was real cool. Like it got on the Wi-Fi back when we just started getting Wi-Fi, and I, I can't throw that thing away. It's useless now. I can't even read books on that joker. I got my my first computer. I still have it. Man, that thing had a 10 gig hard drive. Man, it was rocking. It won't even boot up now, but I can't, I can't give it away because, I, it, you know, I, I just I feel bad. You see, that's what our stuff's going to eventually be. So my, my, anyway, that's what I'm getting at. Jesus moves on, and he addresses this next issue. Because, you see, we can, have, we can know where we come from, and we can have meaning in our life, but you still got to live it, right? And that's where we get to morality. Morality tells us how we live our lives. It's what's right and what's wrong, and here's what we've got to do. Kingdom citizens follow kingdom rules. 
You see, we don't follow the rules to make us right with God. We follow the rules because we are right with God. That was a, a revolutionary moment. And I, I wasn't the best kid. My, my parents were, were awesome, and they put up with a lot of junk from me. But I remember I had a light bulb moment in my life where I realized that my parents gave me rules, and this was revolutionary because they cared about me. It wasn't that they wanted me to miss out on fun stuff. It wasn't because they, they were trying to keep me from something awesome. That They created guardrails in my life and said, hey, this is your curfew. Hey, this is, this is where you need to be. This is, this is what we expect out of your grades. And they, you know, all these kinds of things that they set in my life because they wanted good things for me. And so many times we look at the, the rules God has created for us as these, these boundaries, like keeping us away, like, like the police caution tape is keeping us away from the good stuff, you know? And I, and I wonder, I, I, I think I'm going to be surprised so many times where God kept me from something I thought I wanted because he, re, he knew what I really needed, you know? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to see the big picture one day and I'm going to laugh and say, God, you had this thing figured out the whole time, right? That's right. You actually knew what you were doing. That's right. Heaven forbid we trust God, right? That kingdom citizens follow kingdom rules. And this is really weird that he would even bring this up to Nicodemus. But in John chapter 3, starting in verse 20, he says, All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see what they are do, that they are doing what God wants. And that's a pretty bold statement. And we see Paul say that. Paul says, I wish you would emulate me. Paul tells the people, I mean, people in, the, in the letters he wrote, hey, you should live like I live. That's a pretty bold statement, right? But the reality is that if we're following God and we're living the way he wants us to, we should be proud to stand up and say, hey, you can, you can follow my lifestyle because it's going to lead you to peace. It's going to lead you to happiness, right? That we should be able to say, hey, God's got you figured out. That these things will lead you, you know, you don't have to have, you know, all these different things going on that you're just chasing the wind. That eventually, man, you're going to settle down that God's got the right path for you. And no matter how crazy it sounds, you see, the world says, hey, you're blessed when you're rich. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're blessed when you're poor because the poor in spirit will see the kingdom. He says, hey, you know, I, I want to be the boss. And Jesus said, no, 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 the first should be last. The greatest leaders need to be the greatest servants. But I tell you what, my, my favorite bosses have not been the ones that stood up and patted themselves on the back. My favorite bosses have been the ones that said, hey, let me get in there and help you. You know, that, that, that the world says a certain way. And in the end, it leads to death, right? But when we start living like God wants us to in the kingdom, and what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that if I've got stuff, what Jesus say? Hey, if you've got two coats, let somebody else borrow one, you know? Jesus said, hey, if you've got more than enough, share with those in need. And, but how many times do we say, nope, I don't trust you with my stuff, you know? No, 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 you're not, you're not, you're not going to borrow that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you I got it, you know? We do. Or I do anyway. Maybe I'm selfish in you. Maybe y'all, y'all, maybe y'all got it figured out. But I'm, I struggle with that. That you know, that this kingdom lifestyle is about blessing people. That we've been blessed to be blessings. That when we follow God's rules and His and His way of living, that it blesses other people and it makes people say, "Hey, why do you, why do you do that?" And you can say, "Hey, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus." Right? But man, here's the reality, and, th- and this is what breaks my heart. That we have so many people. That they, they, they had this emotional, religious experience, and they think, oh, I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card, and I can live however I want to. And that is, that's, I don't know if that's just here, but I found it all over the world, that people believe that, honest to goodness, I, I surrendered my life to Jesus when I was 10 years old, and so, by God, I can do whatever I want to do now because God's going to love me no matter what. 
I was talking to a guy a couple months ago, and he twisted some scripture way out of context. And he said, and see, you know, you know God said all is forgiven. And so I got to keep, he, he was like, he, he did the same thing that Paul told us not to do. He kept saying, I got to send more so that God can forgive me of more. And, and that God can be greater because I'm messing up more. I was like, hold on, you know, you kind of, let's read that again. Let's go back. But he, he honestly believed that. And that was his, you see, we've got this, this cookie cutter, this, this Bible buffet mentality that I can take this and I can take that and I can make my own out of it. We don't have a, as my buddy Jackie calls it, a Build-A-Bear Jesus. That's not the way it works. But we have people that have, have hinged their, their faith on this stuff, and we haven't stood up to challenge it. Do you realize that 85%, according to the Barnard Research Group, 85% of people will never come into a religious building in their lifetime in America? And that's all religious faith. That's not just Christianity. 85% of people, on average, will never come into this building. So I mean, We've we got, we got cool stuff going on here. We've got great comfy seats. We've got great music. We've got great teaching. We've got great resources. But they're not going to come unless we go to them. I'm not saying we should stop. This is not something I'm saying we should stop doing this. I love it. But the reality is our American culture is going to die. Do you realize that we are, we are on the hinge of, of, for the first time in almost 2,000 years that are involved? in the course of Christian history, that, that, that Christianity is going to stop being the world's largest faith. We're right at the edge. Because we have failed to take our kingdom lifestyle into our culture, to say, no, 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 we refuse to, to conform, that we're going to live the way that God calls us to live, even if you say that's crazy. We've got to do better. We can do better. Because the reality is, this is one of our, our four components of our foundations of our faith. And if we're struggling with that, man, i got to do better too. And our last section, getting ready to, to pull this all together, is our destiny. We've about talked about origin, meaning, morality, and last is destiny. That our destiny is tied to his eternity. You see, ultimately, that's, that's really what it, what it comes down to. The scriptures tell us that we're like, we're like grass that withers and flowers that fade. You know, our time on this life is brief. I've been to, a, as a hospital chaplain, I've been beside a lot, of, a lot of people as they get ready to pass away. And every single one has this, whether they were young teenagers or people that lived in their 90s, they said the same thing, just didn't have enough time. It went too fast, you know. I, 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 was, I was teasing the other day and said, man, I just feel like it's just the other day my children were born. And my mom said, well, how do you think I feel, you know. That it just it goes by so fast because we have eternity in our hearts, but our bodies don't last. You know, and, and sadly, sin messed that whole game plan up. That wasn't God's design. We know that, right? But the good news is we have, you know, we have a home in glory one day. But the sad thing is, I think that we've, we've got so caught up in this, you know, that we, I grew up singing songs, I've just got a mansion just over the hilltop. That's a beautiful song. But if all I'm worried about is heaven, I'm missing out on earth, you know? I saw this. I love cheesy church signs. They make my heart happy. And I saw this cheesy church sign that said, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? And I thought, all right, you got me on that one. Yeah, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Because Jesus taught his followers to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come here on earth like it is in heaven. The scriptures tell us that we are God's ambassadors, that we represent the kingdom in our daily lives, that we are responsible for bringing the kingdom into the lives of other people. And the reality is, I, I know we know it up here, but we don't always know it right here. That the people we love, maybe the people we hate, if they die without Jesus, they spend eternity in hell. That's what, that's what Jesus said, right? 
It's what's in here. I'm not making it up. But do we believe it? Because I don't think I do sometimes. I think I want to say, you know, God, he's, he's going to, you know, he's going to say, you know what? You did a good job. You did your best. You know, you gave it, a, you gave it a good shot. Come on in. But if Jesus is right, and I'm going to go with the guy that, 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 that came back from the dead. I don't know about y'all. That, that's, that's from, you know, when, I, when I studied all these, all these different faiths and, 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 and settled on Christianity, the main reason I did, because I could not get past the resurrection. I just couldn't. Buddha is a great guy. Had a lot of great stuff going on. The Vedas, you read those, the Hindu Vedas, there's a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff in there. But nobody in all of history laid his life down and brought it back up. So either, either the, the, the Christian faith is either the greatest hoax in history, or man, was the greatest hope for humanity. That Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And if we believe that, that's our destiny, that our destiny is tied to his eternity, then the way we live right now will be radically different. I talked to when I, the last time I was doing hospital chapsy work. One of my areas was was oncology, and you wanna you wanna you have a bad day. Hang out in the oncology department, hang with doctors as they're telling people, "Hey, you got six months, and you, know, you got a few weeks, you got a couple of years." I, I hate I would hate that job. It's bad enough just to be the chaplain. I couldn't be the doctor, doing that all day every day. But I tell you, the one thing that they all once they kind of calmed down and realized, you know what, six months, okay. I'm going to make it the best six months of my life. They knew that the end was coming, so they started living like it was coming. But the reality is, we've all got the end coming. Every, we've got a 100% mortality rate in this room. Unless King Jesus comes back. But we live like we've got forever. That if you, if you knew you had six months, what would you do? You know, what Tim McGraw said, go skydiving. You know, Rocky Mountain climbing, right? Now, I think what we'd really do, because I've sat, like I said, I've sat by the deathbed of a lot of people. And nobody asked for their trophies. Nobody asked for their checkbook. Nobody asked for their toys. They asked for their loved ones. Come be with me. And I think if we would start realizing that, that this life is a treasure to be shared so that we can bring other people in the kingdom. You know, one of the things that, that I, got, I got the privilege back in January to hear, hear Dr. Ravi Zacharias teach, and it did one of my best, best days of my life. It was awesome. And one of the things that, that he was talking about, somebody asked the question about why bad things happen to good people. And, and he, he said, you know, he, he remembered when his, his daughter was young and, and he had to get her, her vaccinations. And if you've had little kids and you, you've seen that, that's a tough thing. To hold your own child down so that they could have pain caused to them. That's a rough day. And the look on, on their face, I remember when Aiden had her, had her shots in, in the first time, and just the look in her eyes that she looked at, at me, and she's like, you're supposed to be my protector. I could just read it, you know, in her, her, little, her little mind, that the person that was her provider was allowing somebody to hurt her. But in my mind as a father, I knew that that pain was for her good, you know, that that struggle she was going through for just a little bit was going to be for her long-term benefit. And I wonder... If God has that same thing in mind for us, that this struggle you're going through is for your long-term goal. I mean, how many, how many times have we been to funerals? I was just at a funeral last week and saw hundreds of people roll through and had the opportunity that they got to hear the gospel. How many times have you been with somebody who's passed away or had a tough time in their life and they brought people in the kingdom from their tragedy? And I don't know, I, I, maybe it's sadistic to think that God would use our pain for the kingdom. But didn't he do that for himself? 
didn't his death and, and all the all the all the torture and torment that he went through bring us into the kingdom? So do we really believe that our destiny is tied to his eternity? Look at what Jesus tells Nicodemus, and, and we're going to get ready to, to camp this thing out. He goes on and tells him, starting in verse 18, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anybody who does not believe in him, talking, Jesus is talking about himself, has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact, that God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And that's the truth of you and me. You know, at one point in time, we loved evil more than we loved the darkness, more than the light. And we've got people that that's, that's it, but if we say, hey, you know, let me show you a better way. Because here's what it ultimately comes down to. And this is our big truth. That if you want freedom, our full freedom, man, it comes from total trust. Total trust. And that's our big truth. If you're a sticky statement person, that full freedom comes from total trust. Let me show you something. Why don't you do something with me? Everybody stand up for a second. I've been making you sit for a while. Let's do an exercise because I'm a teacher. I've got to do an exercise with you. All right. If you feel physically able, don't do not. In the military, if you've got a profile, we say don't break your profile. All right. I want you to squat down as low as you can without, I mean, you got this, without resting your weight in your chair. How low can you get? Without, don't, don't put your whole weight on the chair yet. Just go as low as you can. I'm glad I can see y'all. Yeah, if you want to. Now, at first, it's not that bad, right? But the longer we sit here, it's going to get harder, right? Oh, some of you already gave up on me now. All right. Now, what happened when you put your weight down? How did that feel? It was a relief, right? Now, the sad thing is, most of us, even if we claim to follow Jesus, we spend our life right here. We get really close. We say, God, I trust you. I, I, you said you'll make a way. I trust you. But I'm not going to trust you all the way. And we sit just like this when it comes to our faith. But once I let God have his way, it's freeing. And that's where freedom comes from. That's why Jesus could take a nap in the boat in the middle of the storm. And everybody else is freaking out. And Jesus is like, where's your faith? You know, if they believe that, if I believe that my origin, that in the beginning God can speak and create something out of nothing. Have you tried that lately? I can't do it. I tried to walk on water and I sank, you know. But if we really believe that God can do that, then God can handle my problems. But instead, I try to handle it, right? You see, that's how faith works. So I don't know what it is with you. I don't know where it is in your life. Maybe this is like, okay, cool, James, that's cool. Where does this settle down? The reality is, until you place total trust in every area of your life, you're not going to know true freedom. You're just not. Anybody, anybody like me, maybe in your house, maybe you don't do this. I just, I've got a room that when company comes over, I shut the door. I don't want you to see that room. That's my stuff room. You know, when people come over, I shove all the stuff in that room and shut the door. Anybody got one of those? Okay, I do. Maybe I'm the only one. No. Okay, good. I love when people start, people start pointing at each other like, I say, hey, you do that. 
But here's the thing. We let God into our life. But most of us keep that one room. And we say, God, you can have all of this. But you can't have that. I'm going to hold on to that. That's mine. And as long as you do that, you'll never know true freedom. It's an old story I'll tell you and we'll get ready to wrap up. This one stuck with me because I'm a father of daughters. And the story goes that there was a, a man who traveled. And every time he'd go on a trip, he'd come home and he'd bring his, his, his little girl a present. And one time he came back from a trip and he, he had her a, a pearl necklace. And it was, it was fake kids, you know, costume jewelry for kids. But his daughter loved that necklace. She wore it every day. She wanted to sleep in it. She wore it to church. She wore it to parties. She wore it around the house. She wore it outside to play. It was her favorite thing. And a little while later, the dad came back and he said, hey, how much do you love me? And she said, daddy, I love you more than anything. He said, well, if you love me, give me your pearls. And she holds on. She says, no, daddy, I love my pearls. You can't, you, please don't ask for them. And he said, okay, I won't. And every time he'd come back from a trip, he'd ask her, do you love me? And she said, oh, daddy, I love you more than anything. He said, well, let me have your pearls. And time after time, he kept asking until finally... He said, honey, do you love me? And she said, daddy, I love you more than anything. And he says, well, can I have your pearls? And with tears in her eyes, she hands it to him and says, daddy, I love you. You can have my pearls. And he reaches in his back pocket and he pulls out a silk bag with real pearls. And he says, honey, I love you and I wanted you to have this. But she couldn't have it until she gave up what was fake. And she spent so much time holding on to that that she was missing out on the great treasures that her father wanted for her. And that's been me. I've been holding on to my fake pearls when God's got the real thing. So I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you've never thought about the foundation of your faith and why you believe what you believe. If you haven't done it yet, man, you're going to. And I hope that what we've done tonight, if I never get to teach with you guys again, get to hang out, I hope that this settles in the back of your mind. And you say, I know where to go for truth. Because that's what Pilate asked. What is truth? And Jesus said, if he had been paying attention, that Jesus said, I am the truth. Let's pray together.